Yeah, bro. Yeah. And and we are, you know, natural storytellers at heart, eh? Um, I really want to grab onto that that tattoo aspect, bro. Um, because bro, that's how I learned how to do what I do. And even this this interview, you know, like sorting all this stuff yeah. out, I'm just having a tattoo. Um, but like what's your experience of that and and like looking around your peer group, looking around your mates and you know, the the things that we can learn and, you know, pump out while being a tutu? Yeah, I mean you know, it's everything I've done has been um, like it's it's I guess like I currently stay um, next yeah. to the Moana, uh, you know, Te Panumataho, the Moana in the background there, and then the Manukahaba Te Waihua. Um and we moved here because we just realised we knew that. Um, with a lot of the production we're doing and we're moving into an increasingly digital space, um, you know, it was really important to kind of get a, an anchor so forth before we kind of keep venturing further into the into the digital one. Um, yeah. And so being next to the analog one here, like even the space I'm, I'm in at the moment is just the place of tutu. Like, um, you know, I, I'm i literally building like a, a metaverse studio where it's integrated yeah. audio um, visual <clears throat> production and that comes from that whole n- um, notion of like when you do this thing how does it connect to that thing and if you film something that way and then you put it with this sound this way and you just because in the traditional industries kind of growing up it was like people made music like they made a music track in this part of the creative process and then yeah. once it's done then they hand it off to this side and then they kind of like just make a visual interpretation of that thing or they had people making films and then once the film was was finished, then they would give it to this side to make the music for it. So they were kind of like stapling disciplines on top of each other. But I was always yeah. intrigued with, well, how do you weave that together from the outset? Like, do, wh- why do we have to separate these processes? If, if somebody knows how a particular story sounds, feels, or or, or should look and sound, then you, you, you could... Product you could produce both at the same time and just explore that. So everything I'm, I've kind of built currently is kind of around the exploration of integrated audio and music and sound production and increasingly haptic feedback because of the metaverse. Like, being yeah, able tell to us about stuff. that, bro. Tell us about that. That's something I've been I've been watching and, and keen to have a try of actually. Yeah, um, oh, it's it's you know. I, I grew up in my South Auckland and I, I got addicted to hip hop through the subs. Like yeah. we used to roll through the hood, just like bumping, um, you know, the earthquakes and the pioneers next to cars just to set off the alarm. Like that was the, that was the game, <laughs> you know, see how loud. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, so I've always loved bass and I got into production because I loved the way, not how it set, only how it sounded in our, in our headphones, but the way it felt when you're in the back seat and the subs yeah. just punching you in the, in the chest you know, that same feeling we go to concerts for, that that sense of scale. And so what um, haptic feedback this, uh, um, so I was I was kind enough to have Wuja send this over. So it's like a sub vest. It's a vest that has um, subwoofers attached to like five of them around the body. And so in the same way, like bass in a, um, in a cabinet in the car, you know, the, the speaker cone itself is what's doing the, the vibration, but the, the box that it's in the enclosure is the resonance that that's what creates the base. So with haptic feedback um, vests, your body becomes the box, your body becomes the resonance. Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, we've all seen kind of like the metaverse aspects about like making the visuals and um, you know, Apple's come out with Dolby Atmos where you can have surround sound and now to be able to actually feel the sound um, is just something, you know, that excites somebody like me. Like I say, I'm just a toto and like, Oh, what does that do? And then, you know, yeah. I'm like yourself, like, you know, just 
diving into the space, even though you don't really know, but you know it just has something valuable to offer your creative storytelling, um, you know, intentions and so forth. So I'm like, man, how do I, how do I use Logic Pro and Final Cut Pro and Haptic Feedback Pro whenever that comes out to to yeah. create things so that we can amplify our stories that we want to tell. So and it's yeah. kind of amplifying the the whole experience, eh, of of the viewer, of the listener. Um, that's something that we did with with Hikopapa Waka, our, our um, photographic or it was a multimedia, um, multi sensory exhibition up at Waitangi. Yeah. So we had my photos, um, we had Tikitane's soundscape, we had um, Hemi Eduere and Billy Harrison um, alongside Matua Hikinukumai um, Puhipi carved the waka. And so you could see the photos in the waka, you could touch the waka, you could hear the soundscape, and you could smell the the um, wood chip, the Cody wood chip. So it was like making it an um, immersive experience of the arts of the Kopapa of Waka. And so that's something that I'm really excited for for your Kopapa is kind of diving into that. It, you know, as a as a receiver of Puhoro, yeah. I'm really keen to to kind of as much as I can kind of experience the the yeah. process with Pia. You know? Yeah, which was an incredible work, by the way. Like, um, you know, I was kind enough to have you kind of send that through. I know people experienced it, you know, at where, where it was located. But like, you know, even even for us, like, it's not only as cre the creators of art, but to be able to consume the art with the the intention and the wider that you're wanting to get across. Yeah, so when fun. you sent me that file, it wasn't going to be a passive experience for me, like just something I'm listening to in the car, you know, passively or you know, in the background. Yeah. Like, you know, we are. Uh, artists that that you know really put so much into the creation and the inspiration of it and we and we like to think that those who consume our work also value the the way in which they can consume it and so like i remember um here you know everything was blacked out i had the haptic feedback um vest on the wuja vest and i had the headphones hd 600s the sennheisers um, and then I listened to your work with Tiki, and it was freaking incredible. It was a, it was an amazing experience in an age where we can't go to cinemas and you know get that 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 sense of scale. You're able to yeah. replicate that through these technologies and so forth. So it's that's probably one of the things that excites me so much is the opportunity that it gives. You know, a lot of the artists with depth. That's not to say that you know all artists don't, but there are obviously you know there's there's so many inspirational artists that we know who are you know top of their game because the amount of just effort they put into the capturing of the sounds and the concepts you just described and then they put all you know at the end of the day it just becomes this one digital file this mp3 or wave file however yeah. it took you rendered it out and so yeah. all that care that went into creating it i want to put that into consuming it and that's what we intend for our audiences so yeah, yeah big yeah. mihi that was awesome that was an awesome co-pop and awesome work astonishing yeah. Shout out to Tiki, man. That, yeah. that's still, even before the session, I went and lay on the on the floor in the lounge, chucked on the sound system, and I actually listened to it for that, that 42 minutes. It was wicked. Yeah. Um, and you actually need it. Like, interesting when you're talking about the bass, you actually, because of the way he's built out that sound, um, you actually need the, um, the bass to be able to kind of bring in those feelings. So he's done stuff like when they're doing haka, on each of the takahi, he's got this rolling sub, just boom, yeah, boom, and and it means you can feel it, or um, you know, different different parts. There's a waiata there, and he's done this massive, like cinematic lift that just goes bam, you know, like takes it up. Yep. Yeah, it's awesome, eh? and and it's it's on all the different um, frequencies, eh? Oh, freak! I mean, the sharks. We could do a deep dive on frequencies and the power of, you know, 
essentially in an analog world where you know frequencies are the movement of particles and whether it's it's light frequencies you know they go they move in cycles and whether it's light uh, sound frequencies they they move in cycles and as we know especially in the indigenous circles you know frequency and vibration and resonance the ability for different frequencies to be on the same wavelength is how we you know we do a lot of our, our healthcare and how we cure a lot of our ailments using sound and poroporo titi and different instruments to generate vibrations and so forth. And when yeah. you kind of look at the crypto space and, you know, it's all cycles. It's the same thing when you kind of know how bear markets and bull markets work. It's cycles and it's frequency, it's vibration. It's, you know, when people talk about the floor price and all these types of things, it's, it's just an analog representation of what happens in, in digital, like, you know, life, all the atoms, protons, neuro, you know, it's all vibration, frequency and cycles. And so, um, you know, even where you're just talking about bass frequencies, like Tiki knows how to utilize bass to get a, a certain response. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, man, it's it's. I'm just so fascinated. Like the more we kind of get into this digital space, you realize that our analog, um, ancestral, indigenous space is quite aligned with it. It's a universal theme that goes throughout. That everything that you know, for every up, there's a down. For every down, there's an up. And that yeah. you know, and that's a metaphor for life. So, you know, yeah, and so tell us, tell us about the anonymous 37 hertz. What's what's the special number, bro? What's this magic number? Oh, yeah, it's um, <laughs> put you on the spot, <laughs> yeah. So, for for those who don't know how frequencies are measured in terms of sound, we use hertz. So, if, if you can imagine a rubber band, if you have a rubber band and you stretch it and you make it quite loose and you flick it you'll able, be able to kind of see the waves in it and it's a lower sound. And if you stretch it further and you flick it, it'll be a higher pitch and you'll see more wavelengths. So one wavelength is what's called a hertz. So like a very low sound has very low wavelengths, wave cycles. And so um, all, all sound, every pitch has a different number, a different frequency. And so, for yeah. example, when you play A on the piano, um, that's a 440... Uh, hertz um, signal and so you know different sounds like the higher up the pitch you have the higher the frequency so the first chord that I learned um, in piano is um, C major most people so um, hopefully I can cut over to the piano here so yeah, when bro. you play C E and G That, that middle note is what makes it a major. That's what makes it feel like a, like a happy sound. Happy, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so that's 659 vibrations. So 659 vibrations is this note. Whoa. And yet when you dip that and you play the next note down, which is the minor, so you're just playing the next note down. Which it is creates, the sad sound, the minor. Yeah, the minor. So that's 622 vibrations. And so the the C and the G, uh, like the 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 staples are the anchors, but it's the note in the middle in music. It's the it's the middle note. It's the third. You're yeah. either got a major third or a minor third. And just by the ear moving 622 times E flat, and then uh, moving 659 times the second E, yeah. just that difference of 37 frequencies is the difference that the ear moving that less times makes us feel happy or sad. 
So we, we no longer oh, think really? about music in an emotional sense, but it's actually a physical scientific reality. Yes, yeah, so that's, particles... that's how, the, how the vibrations are affecting us it's all vibrations as, as a person or how we kind of relate with it. Yeah. It's massive, bro. Yeah. Even when people talk about sleep, you know, like, uh, and, you know, different sleep, like we have uh, beta, alpha, theta, delta, your body resonates at different frequencies. So the lower, the deeper the sleep you are, like you're moving into single digit frequencies, your body vibration. So, you know, you can go down to seven hertz uh, when you're sleeping in deep sleep and the higher ones are like in the tens and twenties. And so it's pretty insane once you kind of go down the rabbit hole of, Right, it is a rabbit hole, and, it's like, and vibration, wow. yeah. But it also, but it also talks to how you know that that vibration world kind of affects us, and how we affect you know when we're creating sounds and stuff. Same, that's that that's the feelings that we get when we're singing, you know, and when we're singing together. I think of like in a in the whareinui when we're all standing up, if we're all singing together, that creates that kind of energy that'll make us feel a certain way. You know, um, yeah, that oh, powerful, bro. That's mean. Yeah, and market cycles. Like I, I, I never used to understand what they talk about market cycles and all of that. But when you start to see how you know the, the the cycles always come back. Like in life, the cycle never just goes one way. It, at some point, yep. it will come back in. You know, the market's not going to dip forever. It will yep. rebound at some point, and it's not going to yep. rise forever. It will yep. dip at some point. And kind of, you know, from macro cycles to, to micro cycles within the, you know, the crypto um, pattern, candlestick charts and so forth, you start to see from music to indigeneity, yep. vibration, healing through the crypto markets, it's universal, it's cycles and yep. frequency. Cycle, yeah, yeah, frequency and vibrations, eh? Yep. So, bro, I, I really want to jump in um, to your kaupapa, you know, um, Tato resampled. Can you can you give us like a, a synopsis and maybe the fuck up of this of this cope up, bro? Because yeah, man, it's fascinating. Cool, man. Um, I guess you know um, to to kind of really kind of understand the concept of it. Like I I work off a laptop. Like the majority of the production I do now is like I start off in music production, but it's sound production, it's video production, so. At any given point, I'm in some project just using either audio software or video production software or combination to create things, which means I generate a lot of archives and a lot of um, libraries of, you know, very specific bespoke sound recordings from different places around the world and here in Aotearoa. You must and, have the backups of Doom, bro. <laughs> yo, oh man, we've, we've had to get a server this year to just make sure it was all systemized Safe. and... Yeah. And everything, uh, but a fundamental concept that I now view my whole practice through is this idea of um, sinnet, and you know, sinnet for those who don't know is just a fiber that was created by the old people over in the in the islands, and they would just take the outside of the coconut husk and they would rub it. They'd have conversations all day, all the oldies, and they'll rub it on their thigh, and then they would create these these strands uh, of rope made out of that raw resource, and. The, the link to my, my production work and how Resample to Tell um, has come about is, you know, um, Sinnet back in the islands, that one raw resource of the coconuts, it, it supplies the architecture industry, 
binding all our architecture together. It supplies the navigation industry and tying all the all our waka together. It supplies the fishing industry. Um, it supplies the textiles and our clothing and our ornaments, and I'm sure there's many, many more. So this idea of having one raw resource um, in it and being able to supply many industries, that's basically how I operate these days as a producer. And yeah. all I'm doing is using microphones or video cameras to collect sound and then mm. put them into production software. And now you're supplying the music industry, um, the radio industry, film TV industry, theater, live production, private sector marketing, all off a laptop, like just making beats and shooting film and just whatever combination of audio or visual signals that you're repackaging them. And, you know, so I've got a bunch of work from hip hop songs on, you know, um, Hollywood, you know, uh, Hobbs and Shaw um, soundtrack that was made on a plane all the way through yeah. to theater, you know, theater shows or government COVID messaging videos and so forth. It's like I say, I'm a bit of a tutu. I just like figuring out how many ways can I flip this? I think that's a hip hop thing too. Like how, you know, when we kind of look at samples and how many ways can I chop this? I've yeah. always been looking at my archives and go, how many ways can I chop um, these this footage or audio to supply whatever um, industry? So how this ties all into uh, Resample Tato is um, I documented my Tato, and it's too, it's too long of a story to go into here, but basically in 2015, I got my Tato done over oh, seven sessions, and I had a microphone there uh, that was um, recording it the whole time. And I knew at some point I'm going to chop those samples up and create a work. And so many years later, um, you know, a, f a couple of years back, Massey University approached me for Toi Rafaurangi Pacific Arts Residency um, to create a work. And at the same time, in a completely separate conversation, the Aotearoa New Zealand Festival of the Arts, Tafiri, were like, would you like to premiere work? And so I was like, cool, we're going to hustle we're this good. up. Synergy, eh? Yeah. All came together. Yeah. yeah. And so basically the idea came together as part of a longer series. So like I've always been fascinated, you know, I've always loved music production, but kind of condensing it down to just three and a half minute songs got a bit, um, you know, I was just wondering too much from it. You know, I've done the radio music thing for, for a while, specifically around hip hop from um, South Auckland and, and stuff yep. like that. But I, I knew there was something deeper that didn't fit in there. And so I've been making us a line of content of, of, of art called Resample, where I would just take a whole bunch of location recordings, the the Mona, the wind, the water of a specific location, and then sample them and then rearrange them to the narrative of a local legend or a local story um, that, you know, that resonates with that area that the sounds are being taken taken from. And so I've just yeah, been taking... Yeah, that's actually where we met, eh, bro? Um, yes, it was, yeah. It was with, um, you were resampling um, with... Urban life at that um, museum, Auckland, Auckland Museum gig. So I was working with a bunch of um, young fellas um, with with one of my bros, George Kingy, and his his young fellas. That's right, teaching yeah. them photography. And then you were working with the Rangatahi um, from Glen Innes, yeah, yeah, GIs, yeah, GI, and, um, yeah. And so, like, just tell us about that story, bro, because you know, going from a three minute, um, you know, built for radio um, cycles. Yep. into a soundscape that kind of communicates a place, communicates a feeling, a vibe. You know, just tell us about that a little bit. Sorry for the digression. Yeah, no, 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 no. It, it, it all <laughs> it's lands, the history it, of this it, piece, it, eh? Yeah, yeah it, it, it all connects. It, absolutely. That's a beautiful memory, brother. Yeah, um, you know, I was in the mid-2010s, which is kind of like a, 
around when we were doing that project, might have been 2012, but I was commissioned by uh, Pacific Ma Media Network, so Radio 531 uh, and New FM to to redo their jingles. Um, and so I was like, okay, cool. But they weren't just pieces of music. They weren't just five-second pieces of music. I realized this is like subliminal programming of our communities because these are being yeah. pumped out as frequencies every four minutes. Like every four wow. minutes, where every workplace, every lounge where our communities are, they're going to be hearing these sounds. And so I was like, do I really just want to be sitting in my studio making, you know, programming through the latest patches from the Apple software developers or from Yamaha yeah, yeah. or or what? how much deeper can I go with um, sound and vibration and so forth? So that's when I started to kind of, um, all those jingles that have been playing on, on radio, Pacific Media Network Radio, like our main ship flagship stations for our people, like yeah. they've got so much codes embedded in them. Um, yeah. Like I've just taken archival recordings, sounds that I've gathered around my trips uh, around the, the Moana Pacific and, I, you know, just taking very important places and then just weaving them, tucking them into the sound design, you know, not only just in radio jingles, but everything I work on, I've got, you know, I guess that's the geek in me as well. Like it's just sliding in little frequencies into different projects from gangster rap to orchestral yeah. collaborations, to film soundtracks, to radio jingles. It's just kind of knowing that it's not just digital um, frequencies that are generated off synthesizers coming out of Apple software engineering, but that it's like, you know, um, like maybe it's the soundscape for the Dawn Raid apology that Jacinda sat under, like um, that that water playing underneath was from Te Waiotaiki in Glen Innes where Parihuia returned home. Um, mm. The door knocks that start the Dawn Raid apology in the Auckland Town Hall when Jacinda underwent um, the Fonga process, those door knocks were submitted from social media 24 hours before the apology. We are just asked online, everybody record knocking on your door and send them in, and then I'll just build them into the soundscape. So I'm fascinated yeah. with the ability to take um, sound and just um, pump it into whatever, wherever it gets broadcast, because I, I understand the, you know, not just the aesthetic nature of sound, but a, a very powerful vibrational um, nature of frequency and vibration to be able to move things. And you can do it like like you said um, with the with the Senate. You can do it on all sorts of on radio, on TV, over yep. the internet, in person. Got to yep. congratulate you, fellas, for for a bit of an award for that um, piece that you did with our sister Grace. Oh yeah, that was epic. All right, tell you us what? about that, Ray. Yeah, oh, she, she's awesome. Like I. You know, at, at the end of the day, I'm just a bedroom producer who just made three and a half minute beats. Like, you know, I just want to be like NWA. I just want to be like Dre. Yeah. And it's through um, organizations and other people from other disciplines. Like, that's really what kind of got me on, on the worm, like down the rabbit hole on all these different things, because I wasn't just making three and a half minute beats, which I still enjoy. But, yeah. you know, oh, and it's still one of your tongue and your kit there, baby. But yeah, you, you got others. Yeah. You know, I started getting fascinated. Well, wow, how does sound work within poetry shows? Like, what's that? Like, mm -hmm. how does sound work in film? And so you just kind of just start going down all these avenues. And she's always been, you know, an innovator in her space and spoken word. And then, you know, just the team they assembled for Upu, like, was just, you know, it was gangster. It was, you know, Nathaniel Lee's standing there kind of doing his thing. He's, and, he's um, R2A. Yeah. yeah, and just, just everybody, you know, I, I can't go through all the names because they'll be doing a disservice. But these are, like, absolute OGs. And I, I never lose that feeling of 
like just sitting there going, wow, like I, I feel real blessed to be here with my Logic Pro and my microphones. Yeah. I'm and just going to... these these legends, eh? Yeah, and so, you know, they come with a frequency and vibration and you see it like when they interact with each other, when they're reading a script. You can yep. tell when they find that frequency and vibration where they're aligning and it's no longer a performance, but they're literally... They're in the flow, eh? They're, they're in the flow. And my job is really just to kind of figure out what frequency we're at and build, you know, and I'm like, okay, this poem is about colonization this is about something something and then i just go into the archives and i'm like cool i'm gonna pull from that kopapa driven project there i'm gonna yep. grab some water from there i'm gonna get some simons from ehrman's gangster rap album over here i'm gonna yeah. get this thing from over here so that's kind of been like how i kind of operate these days as i guess i'm a bit of an archive artist is yeah. like i just have a drives and servers full of stuff that i've accumulated um, over the past decade and a half, and every time I step into a new project, that's like, okay, what are we, what are we doing here? What do I need to pull up to serve on this co-pop-driven mission? And then yeah. just pull them up and just start flipping. Nah, wicked, bro, wicked. And so, you know, all of that is the fuck up of this project that you're working in now, eh? It was, it was yeah. all of those um, experiences coming into your experience with your with your tato. Um, yeah. Yeah, tell us what it was like, and and you know, um, even deeper, it's that cultural process that we have around our tonga, like tamoko, like tato. Um, you can't just go in and record anything, and you can't just go and produce anything with that stuff. Hey, eh? you, you have to go through the proper processes, follow the tikanga, and yeah. So tell us about that, bro. Yep. So you know, <laughs> I, I I grew up really saturated by. Um, When's the movement stuff dropping in the hip hop? In the hip hop scene, like that, that's only what I was doing, and I was a real blender. Um, like you, I would just—I'm a bit of a method producer, um, you know. Like you have method actors, and so whatever yep. the project was, I'd just kind of adopt it. But that became a bit of a um, tricky thing for me quite young because, like, I was quite living in quite schizophrenic environments. Like I grew up in Mangere, South Auckland, so there was that version of me. And then I go to a Samoan, very conservative church, Samoan Methodist, you know, the good boy there. And I'd have that version of me, but I would bus out every day out into the city to Auckland Grammar, very Eurocentric Balangi school. And I would be that version of me. And then I'd be drinking in the Apiaway car park, like on Saturday nights, getting hammered, um, listening to, to Dr. Dre and Tupac, and that'll be a different version of me. Yeah. And so... Like I knew at early, like at that point in my career, like there was something missing, and I think we all intrinsically know it's got something to do with our, our parents and our ancestors, like that connection. Yeah. And That's I hadn't absolutely, and I hadn't really, you know, my my dad had the tato, but to me it was just an aesthetic thing, like it was no different to the the um, the ice cream on his arm uh, and so forth, but. Uh, what, what, how this whole thing got triggered is, ironically, the, the radio jingles for radio station, um, I went along to a recording to record the sound of the tatau, um that a mate was getting, and he was getting it from a tufunga, um, Tulawena Tuifatsina, who I must um, acknowledge, um, you know, salute to him. He's recently passed away. I just found out today. Uh, but he basically um, offered me the challenge. Like, I, I went in just to get the tatau sounds purely for artistic reasons um that's the disclaimer because i know most people have some real deep rooted association like my father had the tato the traditional tato or you know my parents wanted me to have it i was just wanting to get it for for the art 
But after he had, um, after I was about to leave with the recordings, he was like, please sit down. Like, why are you getting it done? Uh, so why, what are you, why are you recording these taps? And I yeah. said, ironically, they were listening to 531 in the, you know, at that time. And I was like, see that radio station there? That's going to be your tapping's going to be the hi-hat for these jingles and doing. Yeah. And, he, and it's what he said next that led me on this whole path that I'm on now. Like, he goes, okay, to you, it's just the sound. To us, it's a feeling. Uh, for for us to you know like we know that your art industry the fine arts will hear it and you you'll get props and whatever this innovation thing you're doing but it'll be just a sound to you if you really want to understand this you need to know the feeling you need to have it yourself um and so i left yeah and i left there instinctively i i just walked home walked into the lounge and i told my wife i'm getting it done and, and I that was the moment, eh? No. That was the moment. And then yeah. before you know Moyo it, yeah. I just been on this massive, t- you know, I ended up learning a lot about the culture through an association with the program, Angut Fatsamo 101, which was an education program based here in Aotearoa. It started with 14 students. And then I joined it to do research and learn about these indigenous customs of Fatsamo that are slowly being lost within the diaspora. And then I created some content for it, some some videos, some audio, and then that led to an invite from Melbourne diaspora with some students there, and then Perth, Sydney, Brisbane, Seattle, Hawaii. And so between 2014, 2018, I was just on this crazy journey running around the world in the Pacific with a camera and microphones, just creating content around our culture, learning about it and so forth. And then ironically reconnecting with family and culture and being very proud and taking on a Matai title, um, which yeah. is ironic because anonymous means having no name. And then at some point within the growth, my, my dad was like, um, you were named. we yeah. want to give you a name and we want to give you our family name, Fayumu. So yeah, that came full circle. And basically going through the Tatao journey, like that ties back into like this whole exploration of um, crypto and NFTs and stuff because the fundamental of Tatao is like when you sit down, like they go, um, are you serious about embark- embarking on this process? And I'm like, yep. And they're like, okay, like give me your body and don't yeah. fight the pain. Like uh, lean into the pain. The more you try to fight the pain or tense up or, or strain or be a tough dude, um, the ink will not hold. Um, you're going to make this process a lot more difficult than it needs to be, and you may not survive the journey. And so that notion of leaning into the pain um, for myself like, was a really weird one because as you're lying there, you had to teach yourself like the more it hurts, the more you actually re- relax into it, which, yeah, is, a really weird, it, eh? which yeah, is a yeah. really weird thing to do. So, the, you know, different parts hurt more than others, but... You train yourself that the more the pain hurts, the more you actually relax into it and go, I welcome it. I tell you the out, I accept it. And no better place to see that than in our our crypto (laughs) NFT journeys, you know, and our investments and so forth. Like it's easier to buy when, you know, everything's going up. But we know that when it's crashing and dipping, when we all freak out, like that's where the true value is. Like that's where you want to buy because you're buying at a discount. Yeah. I mean, imagine the pain of that Bitcoin crash we just had, you know? Yeah. Like that that one there. <laughs> yeah, it's making some of us a little bit uncomfortable, <laughs> yeah. but, Shout but out we to are the crypto leaning fans into company. the pain, you know, leaning into the pain and trusting the process, eh? Absolutely. And fundamentals. So that's a philosophical framework that I learned from Tatal that's, you know, also very applicable in crypto. 
um, and this whole space is this notion of when things hurt, embrace it more. And because when it rebounds, you've just doubled your money. Well, you you know, you make way more growth after you've invested at the bottom or at the most painful. And that's true in crypto and it's true in Tato. There's a metaphor there in that with Tato, you go into it with, you know, your old skin and then you emerge from it, like after being battered and bruised and just absolutely going through all the turmoil of all the pain and at each point in the pain process, you're, you're embracing it. It's the same thing with crypto, you know? And so I'm just grateful for like just kind of, like I say, being a tattoo in the space and then kind of finding out where all the alignments are and so forth. So I've been really fortunate on this Resample Tattoo project to kind of indulge in the aesthetics of technical production and hip-hop and orchestration. So essentially what the work will end up being is it's I got it done over seven sessions. It's going to be a seven-session movement work um, that has Tattoo tapping, provide the basis of it. And then on top of that, there's music production, Indigenous live instrument performances, a log drum performance, and then some orchestra coloring it all in and adding all the dynamics of these crazy emotional journeys that we undertake, whether it's a total crazy dynamic journey or a crypto NFT dynamic crazy journey. So, yeah. Yeah. So, bro, like, how how are you working this into... Um, the like the blockchain NFT um, world because that that's what interests me, you know. So we we can see these kind of connections between Tatau, Tamoko, um, the crypto, the leaning into the pain. Some yep. of us have to learn it with with like emotional pain, things like yep. that, you know, yep. like leaning into that and processing that. So how are you kind of weaving those, you know, massive um, aho, those massive threads into this NFT, um, you know, blockchain space? Yeah, cool. Okay, where do I start? Um, <laughs> yeah, where do you start? <laughs> it's like with um, one of the things, one of the fundamentals that I love about blockchain is this is this idea of provenance of of history of proven, immutable, undeniable history. Like being able to encode that within the smart contracts, um, you know, to be able to trace where something comes from. You know, in an, in an yeah. age of like right click save and you know all, all the fakery out there the ability for something to be designated as an original the the very start of total is like mired in controversy because just like any indi- indigenous culture like within the space of total some people say tangaloa langi the god handed down the tool the initial tools to the siamese twins um, from Fiti Uta. Some people say that's from Fiti, Fiji. Some people say Fiji, it's yeah. from Manono Islands and Samoa, Fiti Uta. And so you've got all these different versions. And the truth is we can never know what the true version of our legends are. Yeah. It's and fascinating. it's just like Kororo Māori as well. You yeah. know, um, according to this iwi, um, da, da, da. according to this iwi, da, da, da. and it's not about disproving another or like a like there is only one truth, but actually like looking into it. So what does the story mean for you guys? What does yeah. the story mean for us? Um, and what are the things that we can learn from that? Eh? Yeah. And the, I, and the amazing thing is like with this reset that we're going through with the blockchain, you are able to, to be at the start of the legends. You're creating the first block. <laughs> All right. yeah. You know, you're resetting the first block. And so that's a fascinating concept that even though in an analog sense we can debate all we want about the versions of our myths and legends, but we we weren't there. There was no smart contract when God handed down the tools. 
But as we progress our story, because culture and storytelling and myths are an evolving thing in, in our stories, the ability to tell it through blockchain, you get to actually define um, in the first block of whatever blockchain you're doing, ir- immutable, um, undeletable, un- you know, permanent record of this is what happened. And then this happened, and this happened, and this happened. And so there's an interesting, you know, intersection there with Tatao. Um, yeah. The other thing about it is, like, this notion of versions. Like, um, you know, not only is it about what happened, but, like, the people have different versions of what happened in the story. And yeah. when you look at NFTs, it's like um, there's different versions of the character. Yeah, different um, iterations, eh? Different iterations, different iterations of the legend, different iterations of whichever crypto punk or trillionaire thug you got, oh, yes. but all carved from the same story. Yes. And so, you know, that's another part that really fascinates me. One of the other parts that really fascinates me is this um, this notion of archive archiving. Mm. Um, in, in the Tatao story, um, one, in, in Tatao in general, one of the great things that are real, real privileged to do in my um, journeys with the Angul Fatsama 101 movement. They had an informal partnership with the Ainga Sasu'a, Su Ape clan, who are the yep. grandmasters of, of the practice, who kept it yeah, alive. The and, yeah. yeah, and the Ale Va'a. And so, like, being in close proximity to him and hearing his, I guess, philosophies around it, you know, he was always grateful to our indigenous practices of tatau, tamoku, and all these things, because our ancestors realized that skin was an amazing, um, what do you call it, canvas to be able yeah. to document our histories, because some civilizations had written it in scrolls, which eventually got burnt or lost to these elements. Some got put in wood or carved in stone in caves, which eroded. And so a lot of the archiving of history and stories have been lost over time. But when you take those stories and symbols and you embed it on your skin, um, then it's transmitted from father to son, master yeah, to apprentice. Generational. Yeah, yeah. generational. And so you look at that way of transmitting information, of archiving stories and passing it down. And we are moving into this metaverse in digital era where we, you know, it's being transmitted in hard drives, zeros and ones, binary code. And so like, how do we, you know, we we need to kind of have this conversation about the preservation of our culture and stories and histories within the ones and zeros, um, because it's the opposite of our analog format. And so that that notion of archiving and the transmission across time and space of our stories we are doing that currently with digital, you know, NFTs, you know, all these Web 3.0 applications. But how, like, what, what are we doing to make sure that all of these stories in analog form, form our tutorials, are also present in the next <clears throat> evolution of our of our journey? And so, yeah. and it's kind of um, like, and this is a this is a really key thing that I, I feel like we really need to look at is that, yep, we put our time and energy into developing the metaverse stuff, the NFT stuff, but we also have to really be present in our real world. Yeah. Um, you know, like in our re- receiving the, the tamoko, the, the tatau, um, in the um, kind of carrying out of our cultural, of our tikanga, um, of our cultural practices. And that's, that's something, bro, um, when you and I had a had a yarn a little while ago, this was one of the things that was just like a mic drop moment for me. It was it was something that really stood out. Um, you remember what it was? Yeah, yeah. Can you tell me? Yeah, I mean, you know, like we we look at our 
I mean, we're already kind of walking avatars to a certain degree where like so much of our time is spent within these, you know, the, the, the platforms of the phones in our hands and so forth. But at least we kind of have an awareness of the analog world before us. Um, and we, we, you know, we are mindful of when we go into it and we, we know that we are present um, in real life, but we are just going through this thing. Obviously, a lot of us more addicted than others and we can get out. Yeah. But for our young ones who are digital natives, who are picking up the technology sooner than than most, and where their brains are forming, and um, my wife and I, we've, you know, we, we, we work in a lot of spaces, but we choose to prioritize a lot of our creative production in spaces that have that are quite frontline for communities, like that, you know, fundamentally, they're quite critical to make sure that we are applying, you know, um, digital best practice um, and consumption in that space. And when you listen to the experts talk about what what technologies at the moment do to building brain to young brains yeah. and when you see the amount of our pacific com, you know and maori communities that use phones as babysitters um and so forth the when when the metaverse is it's already here yeah. but when you have the ability to be able to be any avatar you want and to customize yourself however you want um and your brain's still forming you know, at least for us, we get to choose our PFP and all these types of things. But yeah. for our young ones, our, our kids whose whose brains are malleable and they haven't formed yet, once they and they will once they get into these metaverse as, you know aspects where they can customize their existence and optimize it, all of a sudden that's going to be much much more appealing than real life. Because I know, you know, for a lot of us, like we are mocked because we feel plastic and we, when our accent's not right, it's not pronounced correctly in church, or I don't like the way I look, I get mocked, I'm too fat, I'm too whatever. And so the customization within the metaverse where you can become whoever you want to be, you can be whatever dinosaur, whatever, you know, whatever. Whatever, thing. ape or, yeah, Absolutely. yeah, or punk or whatever. Yeah. Absolutely. Then that's a really serious like there's serious implications of that um, for our, you know, for us, because as people of the village, like we know that, um, you know, whatever success um, we have, I, I know I can only speak from being the Samoan thing, you know, it's like, um, you know, when you catch fish, you know, it's, it's not just yours. You distribute it amongst the village first yep. because you yep. are a member of a village. You were born into a family. You were born into this village. This is your identity. Yeah. Whereas, on the metaverse and online, you you customize your identity. You're gonna be yeah. I'm gonna be part dinosaur, part this thing, part this thing, part this thing, and you create your own um, identity within you know whatever ecosystem or village you want. And it's the wild west at the moment. Like it's yeah. like like all things. And this is not a moral argument, but in technology, it's it's music and porn that leads. And oh, right. they, they are the best at exploring the possibilities, culture and all that stuff. They they're, they're late to the party. I've been in, in some institutional court or with you know our agencies who are doing all these reviews about preserving language and all these things. They have no idea. They have no idea about what these things can do, and there's yeah, no yeah, strategies yeah. in place. And so, who's going to get to dictate the parameters and the engagement in which our young ones step into the space? It's going to be the gaming companies, it's going to be the music industry, it's going to be the porn industry, it's going to be all these things. And culture, identity, family values are going to be back there. So, you know, that's a part part of the reason why, you know, it's it's the counterbalance. It's, yeah. it's not a moral argument. It's just making sure that 
we we who are the uh, you know our generation everybody that's on the stream obviously knows about the space we all have a collective responsibility to not just lean into the you know the speculative money making side of things and the you know the tech the storytelling aspects of it but we actually have a fundamental responsibility to be shaping the space up now so that our young ones who inevitably will be wandering into these spaces where they will be customizing their nft avatar within the ecosystems they work into that they have an analog anchor in which to they are able to kind of move about and navigate this the space yeah and that's such a massive thing like i even remember like in my short lifetime even so when we were growing up you know everyone wants to be an american you yeah. know like because that's what we see on our tv that's what we're listening to in our music those are the clothes that are cool at the time so you see everyone wearing those clothes listening to that music talking in that way saying those words those sorts of things and then like coming coming into now i have seen a total shift as a photographer i'm, I'm at who you have to who you have to who you have to who different events different things and so I've seen a big shift from everyone wearing Nike and Adidas and whatever to wearing Tuco Legacy, wearing Hine, yeah. wearing, you know, like our own, like starting to reclaim our own um, sort of brand or our own visual identity. Um, and that's something that when you when you said that, bro, it just was like a bomb, bomb drop for me because I was like that really affirmed. Um, and even the youth development stuff that I was doing, you know, before yeah. diving full on into um, photography, our whole thing was, it's awesome to be Māori. You don't yeah. need to be anyone else. Yeah. You be Māori, and Māori is awesome. Our, our tupuna were amazing. Our our superheroes, Maui, like massive superhero. You know, yeah. we don't have to be Iron Man. We don't have to be Batman. We could be Maui, and that's that's even better because he's ours, and and you know we belong to him. That sort of thing. So, yeah. you know, going into the the metaverse space, like you said, bro, our kids are going to be in there, um, and they're going to be more fluent in that language than we ever will. You know, but if we don't kind of set some uh, cultural foundation, if we don't set some tuapapa for them to um, kind of grab onto, so when they go into the metaverse, they chuck on their goggles or whatever, and they're in there, and then they don't see anything that looks like them. Yeah, they don't see anyone that looks like them. They don't see anyone that sounds like them. Then of course they're going to grab onto. I want to be an ape, or I want to be a dinosaur, or I want to be a something else. Um, but what I'm really excited about is, you know, like working with. Um, you know, people like us, people like our mates, um, to really make an imprint in that in that space, so that you know when they go in there, they can be, you know, a Maori, they can be a, a Samoan, they can be a Tongan, they can be a whatever they are, um, but in that space. So we're yes. taking our ahuria, our culture, into that space, um, and that's that's something for them to hold on to because it's not only how we look, it's not only our avatar, it's not only you know, what profile picture we have. It's also the values um, that we, you know, live by. It's those yep. sorts of values like, you know, te kotahitanga, like that um, communal way of thinking is quite distinct from a lot of European cultures now. Used yep. to be the same. But now where it's kind of individualistic, it's me, my, I, you know, for, for us growing up, it's we. Yep. And so, you know, something that's good for me is good for all of us. Yep. And that's kind of like, that's that's what I'm wanting to you know really create with this blockchain navigators thing is that you know working with you with Chelsea with Richie with all of the other people in the space if we if we all work together then we can all rise together and yeah. that's kind of the thing that's what I want our our rangatahi our taitamariki to be able to grab onto 
And when they go into that space, they can, you know, when they chuck on their goggles, they look around and they go, those are all our tuakana and man, yeah, yeah, it's mean to be them, you know, I, I want to be me, which is being, being like them. So that's a real important thing for us to, you know, set. And like you said, as early adopters, you know, going into that space, that's a, that's a big, big, you know, big space to fill, bro. Yeah. And that note, that note, exactly what you just said, early adopters, like, this is where we flourish. Like us as people of the Moana, as navigators of the Moana. Remember, while the world was doing America's Cup style racing, yachting, you know, like they'll do their flash technology of how they navigate the waters, but they will always do it within sight of the shoreline and safely and so forth. Going beyond the horizon is a scary thing into the unknown, the, you know, the, the metaphorical unknown and literal unknown to sail, you know, Moana. What's beyond there? I don't know and it's scary, but I'm going to go look. And the metaverse and blockchain is the scary unknown. I mean, let alone world dynamics that's happening at the moment, you know, unprecedented yeah. times with everything that's happening. You know, we, there's two, like, it's, you know, there's up energy and there's down energy. And as people of the Moana, you know, we shouldn't kind of worry about the dystopian aspect of what things could be like, but we need to be brave and go, I have no idea what, this blockchain thing is, and yep. you know, all, what all this web 3.0, and it's scary and it's the unknown. But we've done this before, like, we are the best at this at navigating yeah. the unknown. And the other part that ties into that is we were able to navigate the unknown because we knew how to read, you know, read our uh, the stories that have been inherited, we had inherited, and use the stars and all these types of things to, to navigate the waves. Those yeah. waves are now algorithms. So yeah, we yeah. need to take the accumulated knowledge that have been passed on to us, and we are now kaitiaki of it, of all this indigenous cultural knowledge to be able to navigate life frameworks like Tato, embed them within the, the frameworks of the blockchains and the Web 3.0 applications that we build so that when our rangatahi come through and they're navigating not physical ways but the algorithmic waves, you know, they have a, a wave, an algorithm that we are setting up for them to plug into to be able to ride safely. Because if we don't program the algorithm from from that, that accumulated data we've been handed, as you know, um, from our um, ancestors, then they're going to be writing different algorithms. And in a world where algorithms at the moment are very, um, you know, echo chambers and yeah. very, very dangerous algorithms. We we know how powerful algorithms are. Those are the new waves that we are sailing in a digital uh, moana. And so, absolutely, just, just drop that doctors. mic, bro. <laughs> Yo, <laughs> drop that mic. <laughs> nah, but you know, like that, and th and that's how you know, irotoitao Maori he huatau he he kurahuna. And in, in, in the Maori world, we're talking about metaphors. We're talking about like hidden meanings. And we're also talking about when you talk about a metaphor, it's like something that's in one space actually can link to another. And like like when you're talking about tatau and and the and the crypto, you know, market cycles, those sorts of things, you know, that navigational knowledge and those values and, and tikanga that our tupuna had, you know, allowing them to navigate a new space, allowing them to pull up different islands, those sorts of things. That is, you know, that's that's why I've called it blockchain navigators. It's yeah. it's this big Moana and the possibilities are endless, but how do we, um, you know, take our people together, um, you know, in, into this new space? So it's, yeah, it's massive, bro. Yeah, ab absolutely. And that's, I guess, where I, a lot of my current work is in that, I guess, um, philosophical kind of framework. I'm, I'm trying to get a really good understanding of the, 
I guess taking a, a lot of our cultural fundamentals that have been passed on to us, and in my, you know, especially in my work over the past decade in this cultural space, navigating the diaspora, Melbourne, Sydney, Perth, Seattle, Hawaii, where all our Samoan diaspora are, and seeing how that, like, what are the things that they are trying to preserve in their family legacies that they're trying to learn about the culture. For yeah. me, it's about taking all that data about what our diaspora generation that are trying to create something better for our kids and then take all the production aspect of what I'm doing in the studio capabilities of a, you know, building a metaverse studio so that I can create content and products and NFTs that serve that purpose. Because for example, like, um, one, like I, I had this thought the other day, like in someone culture, one of the ways we gift is through a fine mat and, the fine mat, like different mats are valued differently to other ones. They have intrinsic value according to what um, customs, uh, sorry, according to what events it had passed through. So this one might not appear to be much, but it was used at this royal wedding and then it came through this tangi and from this person. And so like when you hear the, the, the orators talk about like, you know, in, in the big events, they say, Okay, we are gifting you this fine map because this was we received this from this person at this event and it came through this 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 wedding and then this high chiefs and so they have provenance. And what yeah, is and blockchain? It's the NFT, bro. It's provenance. Yeah. It's NFTs. You know? Our fine mats are NFTs. They are analog NFTs. And once and, you kind of but start... we keep it alive, eh? You know, Absolutely. So, so it's the co-quarter or it's the it's the orator that Absolutely. actually you know, kataki te whakapapa. They they're the ones who recite the whakapapa, the the genealogy of this mat. You know that it that it, it. was woven by this person, you know, who have their own mana, and then yeah. it was gifted to this person at this event. Da, 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 da. So, like, man, when you're when you're explaining it, I can see it happening with an yeah. NFT. You know, I make an NFT, sell it to someone, and then they yeah. sell it to someone, and that's kind of like the history. It inherits, um, yeah, pro. It's accumulated. <laughs> it accumulates. Um, you know, wairua, you know, and, yeah. and you know, like when you sit in at a good, um, you know, at a, at a Samoan function and you have great orators who will break it down, like it yeah. just looks like a fine map, but they're like, this is the provenance of this map, like, you know, and then you, you know, for me now, I'm like, man, this is what NFTs are. And yeah. that's what I'm really trying to encourage a lot of people in this space about is to not just, you know, it, like whatever your reasons for getting into this game, if it's to make money or make art, all these types of things, but we have a responsibility for cultural preservation for our people and yep. all those types of things, because these analog practices will not be able to compete in terms of influencing our young ones in the, in, a, in the digital form. Yes, it will always, ex- hopefully always exist in analog form, but yep. like even with Synet, like Synet itself that I talked about before is a dying art. Like the oldies are losing the ability to be able to do that. And that's analog form. We haven't even and, talked about And the young ones aren't picking up interested. the practice, eh? Exactly, yeah, they, because they're, they're not, not seeing it. having those conversations. They're not walking into the metaverse and seeing people rolling up Synet. So good luck preserving that aspect of our, you know, and so... A lot of yeah. my work in the space, I'm trying, you know, there's so many areas that I want to tutu in, but there's a part of me that's always kind of allocating a lot of, a lot of our project time and, and resource allocate, allocation towards projects or kopapa that, you know, create a bit of a framework that kind of helps the whole scene um, preserve our, our histories. Yeah, and that's yeah, oh, that's massive, bro. And so with you know, like this this Kopapa resample Tatau, yep. you're gonna be um launching it at the New Zealand Festival. I see you're rocking their t shirt, chur the New Zealand Festival. <laughs> yeah. So you're gonna be premiering her at the 
premiering it there. But yep. like, what's the experience? So I walk into, where are you doing it? At the stadium? TSB Arena. Yeah. TSB Arena. Which so is... I walk into the TSB Arena, which is massive, bro. Congrats. Um, so what, what's the experience? Like, like, talk us through what your vision is. Cool. So um, this is where, so the work will be, will also exist as an NFT. So yep. this is the really exciting part of it all. Can I buy um, one? Can I can I like get in on that action, bro? Yo, absolutely! Like, um, <laughs> you know, and I, I'm really just wanting to kind of showcase it, like leverage the project. Like, I mean, the the ability to develop this work through Massey University, uh, it's College of Creative Arts. If you don't know, like their studio is insane. Yeah, it's um, one but, of the most beautiful way in the country. Yeah, I was probably you know I just done a session there. I'm going back to um, record all the string arrangements in a few weeks and. So it, second to none, they're, they're world-class facilities. It's amazing to develop it there and then be able to premiere it in, a, in an arena. Like, like I'm, <laughs> I'm making content for an arena. So that's the end part of it. But essentially how this, this um, will work is it's going to exist in, in multiple formats. So, yep. you know, one of the things I realized with a lot of these festivals, they can be real bougie. Like when you say, you know, New Zealand Festival of the Arts, you know, quite yep. often you go along to these festivals and it's like, well, what's fine art? And quite often it's Eurocentric or it's very, you know, upper classy, bougie or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the hood often in these spaces don't feel like they belong or, you know. And so um, what, what this work will be is all the audio samples and the creation of it, there will be a version of it that sits in Web 2.0. So I will be making, an, like once I've collated all the, all the um, video or the audio and all the composition, like when we go to the mixing stage yeah. um, where we finalize the files, we will be actually finalizing various versions for different um, delivery. So we are going to customize and make a version that will be for Spotify, for YouTube, and it'll be a very specific arrangement. And so that's accessible to everybody because that's one of the core things for me is making things that people can access. I mean, you don't have to be bougie or rich NFT collector to be able to access. So there will be a version of this work that will be free. That will be on the Spotify's, the YouTube's, the Web 2.0 current streaming um, um, systems. Then there will be another arrangement that has extra layers of stuff in it like extra log drum work extra music extra like just little tr variations of things and yep. that'll be in the arrangements that that exist as nfts so these are collector's items so you know in the same way people can collect the print um you know a high-end of a high-end artist and so forth like there will be versions that will be made available to people to to basically own that version of Resample to Tell that's different to the versions on traditional streaming platforms. Just put my name on one of those, bro? <laughs> <laughs> my man. <laughs> yeah. And then there will be an ultimate version, which is an NFT as well. And this is that utility value that we keep talking about, about yep. giving you access to certain things. And that those utility versions, the NFTs, will give you access to wherever it's performed live, um, like, for example, at this arena, because the star of the show for it um, will be this analog yeah. log drum. So one of the things, one of the co-popper this, this project's um, built around is I've talked about the um, digital ar archiving. So that's where we use microphones and cameras to capture audio signal or video signal. And then, you know, we can play that back. And that's an archive of that moment. There's this thing that happens in classical circles in my time in that space. Like 
there's a belief in that space that when you create a new violin, before you play it, what, what they do is they'll place it in front of speakers and then they will um, play classic um, music through it, um, or to it, so that the uh, violin inherits the frequencies and vibrations of that classical music that it aspires to. Same thing with guitarists. When they, uh, quite often, when they make new guitars before they play it, they'll play it so in front of speakers and they'll play the frequencies of classic whatever genre guitar yeah. music through it. And so I did the same thing when I got to told not only were their digital archives taking place, the microphones um, capturing it, but I actually had this log drum, which I've never played um, from Samoa. It was sitting next to me the whole time inheriting the the sounds. So this was there. And Whakatoi, so, the Maori, eh? like that's, that's a way that we talk about, you know, um, some of our taonga, when we take them to different places, ka whakatoi, te Maori, or te wawahi, you, you, you imbue the, the oh, energy, beautiful. the essence of whatever that event was of the karakia. When you, when you karakia, you know, something, you're imbuing an essence into it. And so, yeah, bro, like I'm just totally hearing it. That, that's, that's what you did with your, with your yeah. drum, eh? And so when you're at these events, you know, it's, it's basically an art installation because you're hearing the digital capture of the moment, the yeah. digital archive, and live is being played the analog archive. Like, it was there. Yeah. Like, in the same way, we talk about the legends of Tato. Like, was anybody yeah, oh. there when the initial tools were handed down? No, yeah. we weren't at that. But in terms of my story, like, this log drum was there. I'll die, but this log drum will still be around. And yeah. the digital Your files can around. have that, yeah, absolutely. And so that will be the utility value. One of the utility values of um, the NFT of Resample to Tell is the ability to access performances in which practitioners will be playing this one that was there during. Yeah. And, and, and you've got this a really one too, eh? yeah. And you've got this really interesting overlap of time and space because you've got a digital archive like the samples that were recorded playing at the same time that the analog archive is playing. And so you're overlapping time and space on top of itself in this art performance. And so that's, I guess, one of the utility values that the NFT version of Resample to Tell will give access to. So I'm trying to make sure that there's different, you know, different tiers of the work that will eventuate that, you know, whether you're just consuming that specific sparser version on music industry version online on YouTube or Spotify, you can consume yeah. it there. If you want to go deeper down the rabbit hole, then you know you might want to consider getting a limited um, NFT version, uh, which is different. You know, like probably drawing from even deeper archives. Like there's certain really, you know, almost ritualistic aspects about the total process, and I've captured a lot of quite insane recordings and samples from around the world that I, I will tuck into those limited edition ones and probably have certification about what those. Um, those those differences are for that version for the collectors to hold yeah. um and then there will be these um i guess ultimate ones which will be the nft versions with more i guess intrinsic layers built into them as well as given access towards um performances that have the log drum and probably in the future like um interactive stuff around haptic because that was one of the cool things about um the technology like these guys sent it to me and they're like you know However, it works for you as a as a creator, as an innovator in this space. Um, you know, we can customize the technology for yourself. And so, like, I'm like looking at like ways to kind of build the tech so that it's not necessarily like a vest, but it sits in your tatau area around yeah, your yeah, thighs, yeah. 
and your you know your mid section and the content you're watching about this project is interacting with the subs on your body and you know maybe some ele- ele- electrocutions or stuff to kind of make you feel pain in those regions so yeah so tap 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 and then you get the the pain signals eh yeah man yeah so it's all to to just having a good just just seeing what the technology can do and and you know we we have to remember like one of the fundamentals for me is like like art especially music is a reflection of the technology of the time like from the caveman days if all you had was rocks and wood then that's how the music sounded we know that music sounded in the eight in the 70s all the analog Motown because that was the technology it was analog tape, and then the mm. synthesizers of the eighties, like the, that technology came along, and then music went this way. And yeah. what do you know? The nineties they discovered sampling, and so music yeah. and things went that way. And so every time technology changes, the art change, like the art kind of moves in a different space. Yeah, and it, evolves, eh? different, it evolves. And so <clears throat> NFTs, blockchain applications is just the next. Um, iteration of that technological shift that will inform the art and that's why i am in this crazy bat cave trying to create an optimized space to create for the next shift and where the art is heading yeah and so bro when we're talking about you know setting setting a cultural foundation what are the things that you think are important for us when we're thinking about you know if we're gonna if we're gonna make an nft collection and drop an nft collection when we're thinking about going into crypto when we're thinking about metaverse gaming and those sorts of things like no doubt some of our people will will be able to create metaverse games or you know like those sorts of things what are are some important kind of cultural things that you think we really need in that space you know to keep our people safe but also to keep our people um, being ourselves. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a, that's a complex question, and it's one I've struggled with for a long time. Uh, I I've recently been given a title by my therapist. So I've been in therapy for a while to kind of do a lot of self healing and a lot of self fixing. And ironically, something that she said to me in that space um, really applies in this space, and that's this notion of the creator versus the created. So what I what yeah. I what, yeah. what I mean by that, and hopefully this might catch something or somebody out there can make sense of it, because it's just might be loose ramblings. But I personally, just to take a step back, have always struggled with that notion, as I now understand, of, of the creator versus the created. So I grew up in very you know conservative traditional Pacific circles um, that say that um, you are not enough, like you need God in your in your life. Because you are insufficient, you don't, uh, you know, by yourself, you are not enough. You need something greater than yourself to complete you, to be who you are. Mm. And and I understand that notion. But at the same time, we get this other opposite programming that says you are enough, as you are. Like, um, you are everything you need to be. You don't need the world to tell you that, you know, um, that you need something else. Like, you're fine as you are. And so, like, I've always struggled for, well, well, which is it? Like, trying to navigate, the, you know, the rights of the, I guess, the individual versus yeah. the rights of the collective. And that's where all of this kind of comes into play, this whole notion of the individual versus the collective. Um, and, you know, when you look at the way these collections are, especially in the NFT space, like, you've got people that are releasing a one-off. That's the intrinsic value for this art piece is that there's just one. And then you've got these other ones like it's the community, it's the whole thing. We are all accountable to each other. We're all going to huddle, and the floor's going to rise. 
And so that that's the conversation to me. I know culturally, from my own perspective, that we need to kind of um, identify as a community for our young ones, clarifying where religion starts and ends or gets blurred and culture starts and ends and gets blurred. And if we can kind of just get a general consensus about what is um, the ideal um, platform, uh, ideal, I guess, kind of foundation to kind of work from, then, you know, that makes it quite easy for us to kind of give a framework for how we look at um, collections of NFTs um, or or anything that steps into the space where it's about culture and societal integration and so forth. Because obviously with the metaverse, anything can be anything. Like everything's possible. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is, like if everything's possible, like where does culture sit in that? Like there are no cultural protocols. Like mm. I, I remember being in an art project where the other ceremony, the traditional other ceremony, um, is like the the um, you know the chief's daughter sits here, uh, the taupo, the maiden, um, and and then uh, alongside her are the taulele and the high chiefs over there and the, the orator chiefs over here, and that's how it's been done for thousands of years. Yet in this art show, like the director was like, "Oh no, I'm just going to change it because I can. This is the arts." And yeah, like, yeah. You know, it's like, <laughs> and and that that's just a theater show. You yeah. know, and in like the oldies, the art, like the, our elders in the room were like, you can't mess with protocol. This is yeah. how the arrangement is in an analog scene, setting. She sits there, orators over there, high chiefs over there. I don't care what you do as an artist. That's yeah. not going to fly. And, that's- and I think it's 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 about digging into the why of these things. Like yep. there's there's so many tikanga in, in te ao Māori that you know people don't understand. Oh well. You know, like the one that you hear people complain about is, oh, why do men sit at the front and then women at the back? Is it because men are more important? Yeah. No, it's not. It's actually because we're looking after our wahine. And once you know the why, beautiful, then you go, oh, oh, actually, now that makes that makes sense. So if you know why the the um the rangatira sits over there, you know why the puhi sits over there, you know why the kaikororo over there. Like there'll be a fuck up to those things. There'll Beautiful. be a, a you know a, a reason to those things, and once you know the reasons, then you're you know you can really embody them. You can really you know hold on to that. So you've helped me answer it. Like that's what that's what we need to be doing. Like right now is kind of identifying to our communities who are moving into these spaces why the culture is the way it is. It's never going to be perfect. Just like the market's mm. never going to be perfect. It's going to yep. be ups and downs. But generally, as humans, we strive for progress over time. Yes, we can be terrible to each other, but we have survived this long. And so the markets will always go up and to the right. It's never going to be perfect, but this is why it is the way it is. And I think that's the core that needs to be shared as everyone's FOMOing into Trillionaire Thugs and all these other things, which is great at at a speculative level and investment level if it's fundamentals. But even more important than any of that, is a fundamental understanding about our culture, uh, about our cultural indigenous practices and frameworks and ways of seeing the world. Because once you kind of have that as the lens you see things through, doesn't matter what NFT collection or what you know what thing you engage with, you're looking at it through an understand, like you say, an understanding that will help you make a, an informed decision about what you invest or will not invest into. And that notion of of the rights of the individual versus the collective. Like, that's a big one. Like, you know, we aren't taught that in, like, civics in school anymore about, you know, what's right-wing, what's left-wing, what's, you know, conservatism and 
and what's socialism, what's the rights of the individual and what's the rights of the collective and so forth. Like I've had to, that's one of be my greatest learnings in this crypto space um, is, you know, sometimes the best investment you can make is not into the crypto, but just into yourself. Mm. Like, because when you put money into the market, whatever you believe in, that's great, but you are now at the, at the mercy of the market. Like there's nothing you can do. Once you put it into Bitcoin, you're at the mercy of what everybody thinks about Bitcoin. You can't change that. Yet yeah. when you take that same investment amount of money and you say, okay, I'm going to invest it in this course into myself, or I'm going to rest it, invest it into this retreat, I'm going to have a break, or whatever. Whatever you choose to do, you are in full control of what happens. Yeah. And yeah, so this, this notion of putting it into the collective and being at the mercy of the collective and this idea of putting it into yourself as an individual and now having full control over what you actually do and hustle with it, that's quite an important thing. And I think like that's something I really want to iterate with a lot of the, the young ones who are kind of watching a lot of kind of what's happening in this crypto space. I absolutely encourage it, like, like yeah. you know, kind of get into it and just get used to it and so forth. But, you know, you do sense, you know, uh, the speculative aspect and the like the FOMO making money type of thing and putting it in. And some quite often with money they can't afford to lose, but you're putting it in there and you're at the mercy of what everybody does. Like if, you know, or if it's a rug pull or if everybody hodls, whatever, it's going to, the outcome is going to be the the collective that decide that. Yeah, yeah it's not you just know, determined by you. Yeah, if you put it in yourself and you educate yourself on something or you do something that makes you grow, like you're going to step back into that space better than you were before. Um, or more informed, you know. So maybe it's not buying crypto or NFTs, but maybe you, you want to consider doing an NFT course, or maybe you want to consider something that improve, you know, self improvement um, for yourself. And so that's one thing I've had to, you know, learn on my journeys, you know, in the space is kind of knowing your the return on investment is, you know, it can be literal, literal, but there's also a subjective notion to it that it's not just measured in terms of a bear market or bull market, but how yeah. you are like investing in yourself so that you are a better person the next time you step in. Into yeah, a bear learning market learning how to read charts or learning how to blim and code, you know, like <clears throat> I think of some of our, some of our taitamariki, some of our young ones now that are already building worlds in Minecraft and stuff, yeah. you know, like when it comes to it, like they'll be able to build out, um, worlds in that in that metaverse um and if they learn how to how to code and you know those those possibilities are endless eh? um, but it's also like you said both focusing on our own mental health on our own physical health you know not not staying i spend too many hours glued to my computer straight yeah. up straight yeah. up too many and and it's it's when i go out like yesterday went out to the moana had a had a swim had a pude and just felt like Wow, this is amazing! I need to do this more often, or you know, going for a dive, going for a hunt. Those those sorts of things, like yeah. in the real world, connecting with our tile because those frequencies that you're talking about, man, we get those frequencies from the sun. We get those frequencies yeah. from the waves, from the wind, from the from the ngahere, like all of those sorts of things. Eh, it's so important. Absolutely, absolutely. Like it's it's super critical. Like you know, the law of uh, of energy. Like for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. The amount of energy and time and resource we're spending in this digital space, it's dangerous if we're not counterbalancing that with self-care in the analog, non-digital space. So, you know, I know that when I got into the space in 2020, 
um, it became consuming. Like I was spending all the time in the YouTube channels or like the discords and trying to research different influences. And you just go down the rabbit hole and then it becomes like, is it Solana? Is it this one? Is it this one? Is it this? And then before you know it, you're spending so much time on that on and not necessarily on, well, the, the important things like family and that re that require the most attention, but also the other, like, you know, like I was, I was using crypto and stuff as a strand for the art. And now I'm spending more time researching the strands than actually making the art. Yeah. And so I think it's um, like, I, that's what I, that's where I am now personally on this journey is like, I'm doing my, I've done my due diligence on all the space to know enough about how it works and operates so that, um, I feel comfortable as we as I'm scaling in the space and as I progress that I'm able to if, if I need to hire somebody or hire some developers I know exactly what it is I I, I know why Cardano may not be as good as Algorand or why Solana it's a centralization problem might not be ideal for this specific NFT but I really like the ecosystem of Terra and Luna to mint NFTs and I just want to get enough of an understanding of the ecosystem so that um, when I do delegate and trust others to specialize in that I can just go back to being the tutu and keep making you know finding the stories and making you know the, the creative process I really enjoy that aspect but you know, I, there was a point there where I was just doing way, I was spending way too much time in discords and on Twitter, crypto Twitter and all those things. And they're quite, they're critical parts of it, but we have to be mindful of the balance of, you know, by, of, of the space, depending on what it is. If, if your thing is to just be a speculator and you're just in it to flip and so forth, and you're not like us from the creative arts, all power to you, go like do your deep dive and spend all those hours. But I know for myself and my journey, like I'm, I'm like okay. I've, I think I've got a general sense of how this all works, and I think I know which blockchain I want to commit to. Um, and I will now delegate this person to be able to work on that, so I can just get back to figuring out the next thing, so that once they plug in, this next block is ready to move into, and so forth. So I definitely encourage everybody out there to maintain a balance because we're moving into a digital asset space that needs to be counteracted by an analog, as you say, analog balance and you're yeah. right nature is a is a, i was telling my wife this nature has this beautiful way of making us feel like everything and nothing at the same time yeah you know and by having that i guess analog reminder of being out in nature where you feel like you are everything but also you feel like nothing you are just a, a grain of sand in this way to think having that reset and then plugging back into the the possibilities of the metaverse and all the insane things that come with that space is going to be quite a important thing for all of us to uh, maintain. Yeah, mean, bro. So if if there was, you know, because we've we've gone all over the place, we've gone into um, the fuck up up of of your work, we've gone into how things you know interact with the NFT with the blockchain world. We've we've talked about culture and the and in the metaverse on the blockchain. And that's, that's a really big thing, and that's something that I think, you know, would be a good conversation, good wānanga for all of us to have, yep. um, all of us who are stepping into this space. Um, if there was, like, one thing that you would want our kaifakarungo, you know, the, the, our, our whānau who are watching and listening, if there was, like, one thing that you would want them to, like, really walk away from this conversation with, what, what would it be? The... the, the... As somebody who's watched many shifts in this techno technological space, you know, watching cassettes turn into CDs, turn into 
you know, logic turn into final cut, turn into block. The, you know, I've always been somebody who's kind of, my mind kind of puts things together and sees where this is going to lead. And what's happening and what's about to happen is going to be the most amazing thing for all of us. Instead of us being at the mercy of centralized systems, blockchain means that you can customize a system around you. Like yeah. you don't have to succumb to the way those guys do royalties or the way that that industry views publishing or the, and be at the mercy of those things. Like you can be whoever you are and you can customize a whole ecosystem around who you are, what you value, what you love and make a living doing it. Like one of the things I'm just fascinated by, like, you know, I, behind the scenes, if, Behind the scenes, there's some drama going down in our local music industry. I'm yep. not going to draw drama towards this, but those in the know know that some of the biggest artists, the artists that you know, you guys out there know as some of our top artists from the Moana and the Pacific, are looking at their royalties and they're like, who's that? Who's that name? Like, And these yeah. have people that turn the, turn the blind eye to a lot of the... Uh, um, systemic um, things that have taken advantage of a lot of our communities. Like back when, you know, during the tech boom era of the internet, when it was first being generated, they were telling everybody this internet thing is the mainstream media. Don't believe yeah. this internet hype. Um, this Google thing, this Apple thing, they're not, these tech companies aren't real. It'll be um, gone but, next week. Yeah, yeah, the internet is fake. And while they're saying that publicly behind closed doors, they're like buying up all the stocks. And these are just systems, you know, the banking system. We, we all know that all these systems of government, media, entertainment industry, they've all been designed to benefit a, a select fee. Yeah. You know, the blockchain, NFTs, crypto, all the space is the flipping of that. And it's the decentralizing of all that centralized power. For example, what I was talking about before, about how this the current system um, that affords royalties to a lot of our artists, that's being flipped on its head at the moment. So considering, for example, because um, I get asked a lot about this, you know, we can completely cut out the the middlemen, the record labels and the streaming. Um, let's say um, somebody says, um, Matt, we want you to do a track with, um, oh gosh, who's the name? Let's just say, um, I saw somebody say uh, in, in the earlier, my Otara uh, movement, uh, brother of the movement. So let's say the audience base who, who dig our music, they say, Anonymous, we want another track with you in the movement and we want to do it around um, the cops carrying guns in South Auckland. Let's yeah, say that's what the audience wants to see from us is a piece of art. So what... It's possible now through blockchain and smart contracts and allocating equity to the audience as well. Like, okay, cool. Let us just crunch the numbers. And I'll just keep the numbers simple just so it's easier to calculate. Yep. So we could go, okay, let's say we record the track and shoot the video, whatever. Let's say it's $10,000. And so we go back to the audience and we're like, cool, that thing that you're wanting to commission us to make is going to cost $10,000. Um, let's tokenize it. Let's decide. Let's make uh, – let's get – a thousand people to put a thousand fans from Otara that dig the movement anonymous. You know, they saw us get on Dwayne the Rock Johnson's Hobbs and Shaw soundtrack and they want more of yeah, it. Yeah, so yeah. We, we say, cool, let's make a thousand tokens on this project. Thousand people, all 10 bucks each. And we decide, okay, let's do this thing and we're going to allocate part of the royalties back to the audience. Let's say we allocate 37% back to the audience. So now we go off. 
we use the money that they've raised, the seed funding. It's not venture capitalists. It's not yep. the banks. It's the community that love our it's stuff. The people, and yeah. It's the people. We go off, we make the content. And now we've got this crazy situation where we've made the stuff that they're wanting to hear in the first place, the commissioning of it. Yep. And then once we put it out, they're happy because they've got the what, what they're after from us. But now they are incentivized to bump it. Yeah. Because, because they're, sh- they're shareholders. As they're such shareholders. Age. And yeah. so by them bumping it and playing it and spreading it and getting more people, you know, the co-papa of cops carrying guns and stuff, that gets dealt with. The art is tending to those areas of society. But also because it's streaming and it's going through all the platforms that generate publishing and licensing and so forth, we are getting money back as the artists that wrote it all, but we've also allocated equity back to the audience. So the more they bump it, the more the return they're getting on their initial $10 in perpetuity. Or yeah, you know, we can write it in. into the contract, you know, up until a certain point. I mean, who knows? And this, that's just one theoretical application. Well, it's not even theory. You can already see artists like no, Mars. No, you can, yeah, you can do it. And and so that one that makes them a shareholder in the in the Kopapa in that song and that album or whatever, but it also makes them the marketing team. Hey. Absolutely. And, it's and a win win. Those are usually roles that the record company would Absol- take. And but for, but for yeah. those roles they would take sixty percent of your profits and you know, like or you know, whatever crazy number it was. Yep. Um, leaving the artist quite often, you know, not getting as much as people think. You know, not people even think, oh man, you've sold a hundred thousand. Oh, bro, you must be balling. If people knew how much money was in publishing and licensing in these industries, um, and like I say, like, you know, I, I wake up every day and like just wonder if it's going to spill out into the media, um, at some point. But you know, at another, I'm like, it doesn't actually matter because your system's on the way out. Like these new systems of yeah. how we can create these 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 value-based systems is absolutely going to be the, the default because when we build them, you know, God's greatest gift to us all is free will. People will look at the legacy system and they yeah. will look at what we're doing and take your pick. Use your free yeah. will to decide where you are going to allocate your time, your, your membership as a fan, your investments. And, you know, it's just... It's such a beautiful thing. So I just really want to encourage everybody out there, whether you're an artist that's creating the stuff, whether you're a fan and, and the audience and you're consuming the stuff, it is a win, 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 win all around. And so yeah. it's a beautiful, exciting time. But for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. That's the law of conservation of energy. It also means it's a very dangerous time because these legacy systems are not going to give it up without a fight. Yeah. And we can see that. We can see that in the, the battle of, rolling. Yeah, of yeah. everything that's happening around media, around vaccines, and around mandates and lockdowns. And what you, like we are seeing the, the battle taking place. But I just encourage everybody, whether you're a con- the creator or whether you're the consumer, we, we are all going to benefit from this. Like yeah. all we have to do is just band together, stay power to the people, decentralize the systems. There will be certain elements of centralization that we need to have because of I the don't. nature of how, but you know, we can hold them accountable and you know, it's, it's a hugely exciting time and we have to choose the up energy as much as there's the, uh, you know, the, the, the negative downside that's popping off. We can see it happening everywhere around us. This clash, we have to yeah. err on the side of, of the bull market. We we have to hold our fundamentals and not be like the, I saw the recent thing about, um, you know, most people who have gotten into Bitcoin recently, 36% all sold at the bottom. So 
Um, yeah, it's crazy. Conviction and fundamentals. If you're convinced in this technology, despite whatever happens, despite whatever the media says, despite whatever your mates say, you know, if you do your due diligence in this space, um, I encourage you to hold on because it is incredibly exciting what is happening. <coughs> yeah, massive, bro. Um, and oh, it's like the possibilities are endless in that space. Like, yeah, how how many how many projects or how many artists do you know that are kind of starting to think about rolling in that way, bro? In the last week, I've seen I've seen like <laughs> countless people just. Um, yeah, in, in the hip-hop um, scene around my, that I've seen on my feeds and stuff, and, you know, I'm erratic on the feeds. I'm not on there constantly 24-7, but all of a sudden everybody's wanting to drop in NFC. Everybody's in on it. And, and I'm not one of these purists too, by the way. Like, I've also seen some people go, oh, man, you know, these, these people weren't there from the beginning. They don't know what it's like. They're just like, you know, and then, like, I'm one of, like, I just believe in, in the technology, same way I just believe in the cassette tapes and the and Logic Pro and Final Cut Pro and Haptic Feet. I just like what the technology does because I know what benefits it can offer. So I just like love seeing the scene develop. The more people in, the better. Like I'm not, you know, team this or team that or anti this or anti that. Um, it, but I do, you know, there's other elements of, of a bubble which can hurt a lot of our communities who don't have the fundamentals down of the space, like, you know, not investing what you can't afford, you know, invest what you what you can afford to lose and all these types of things. And so I've seen a huge explosion in interest in, in NFTs and all these types of things. I can see the FOMO happening and we all know where a lot of that can, can kind of lead to and so forth. But overall, it's just great that the awareness is out. Like that's the part I really enjoy is, um, you know, a lot of us who have been in this, you know, I've been, I got in at 2020 and I remember talking to a lot of these rappers and, and people about it then and it wasn't a thing. And all of a sudden everybody's in on it now. So it's like, I'm just like, oh, cool. Like, like the more we can, people can get in, the more we can kind of make this um, thing be adopted more because by more mainstream adoption of these technologies, the faster our societies can heal and get onto, you know, the next level of prosperity for all of us. I mean, I'm sure everybody out there knows what Shazam is. People don't realize that Shazam type technologies are talking to the publishing licensing royalty companies, talking to the speaker headphone companies, which means we are heading to a place where we completely cut out the APRAs and these other people who clip the ticket on our royalties and that as soon as a head, pair of head, smart headphones in the future or speakers detect using the Shazam type technology that your track is playing through it, your crypto wallet immediately gets deposited. Like how dope is that? Bruh. You know? Like, yeah. like most and if we're setting it up with the good, with the good values, and you know, and and that way of thinking, then, man, that's that's pretty, that's yeah. pretty special. The, the pretty mind blowing. The labels don't dictate what is good or, or not. You know, anybody who chooses to say I'm going to give this track the time of day, I want to listen to it because I like it. Them listening to it means you get paid. It's not getting clipped. It's not getting like you know going through the murky depths of the current licensing publishing industry that is quite self-serving. But there's like, that's just one thing, you know, there's, this is going to happen across, you know, um, yeah, all this sectors. is in music, real this estate, music, banking, what, everything. But, and also like visual arts, say, hey, you know, like you, you think of uh, artists that, that say Robin Kahukua, if she sold one of her pieces, 
back in the day, you know, when she was kind of on the come up, she would have got, you know, whatever putia she got at that time. And that was the koha to her. And then someone else sells it on, sells it on, sells it on. Now they sell it today and it's worth like, you know, huge amount of money. That person who's selling it, they're getting the huge amount of money. But the artist who created it in the first place, the yeah. artist who imbued it with her modi, yeah. with her thinking, with her creativity, with her skills and talents, she's not getting anything from that, you know, sale down the road. And I think that's that's another difference for artists, for photographers, painters, you know, whatever. Um, with these NFTs is that, you know, in perpetuity, that artist or that artist's whānau um, can be receiving those, that wow. it's an exchange of energy, eh? you know, it can come back to them um, and benefit them as well as the people who are selling it on, as well as the people who went, ooh, I like this artist and I think in time, you know, they'll be they'll be up there or whatever. Yeah. I think, man, and that's, again, we've, we've just talked about two different kind of um, realms, you know, We've talked about music, we've talked about art, but how many other ways can we use this sort of technology? I, I, I know one of my mates, Kay Marie, she's, she's talking about using it to using blockchain technology to hold um, and document whakapapa. Yeah. So that, so that Uri can go back and connect um, with their ancestors and stuff like that, or, you know, have it as a decentralized way of holding that knowledge. So you can keep it safe. You know, access is limited to maybe people who come from that whakapapa. Yep. But it's also there, you know, if, if someone's house burns down, they don't burn down that whakapapa book. Or if, if someone passes away, then that person that had that knowledge in their, in their head, you know, yeah. that, that knowledge isn't gone with them. So I think, you know, it's like any technology, it eh, has the ability to do bad, but also has the ability to do beautiful things. And I yeah. think it's, it's down to the values that we have and the way that we kind of approach things, eh? That's beautiful. Yeah, you're right. You know, as as people of the Moana and the Pacific, and it's all genealogy. It's all about in Samoan, we call it ngafa. You know, it's like um, this is the, the family lineage, and then the titles got split here, and then it went there. And this is where so much trouble and, and drama is within now, you know, Samoan diaspora is just like, oh, no, your, your Matai chief title isn't legit because you didn't go through, you know, you didn't get gifted it through this person, and then it becomes debatable, and then they go back to the courts to kind of try to settle it at the land and titles level, only to find out that those paper records were stopped, you know, being collected in the 80s, and so now we have no provenance. We've got no record of what actually is or was. And so, you know, the ability of blockchain and smart contracting to be able to move into the space of our cultural preservation of family names, of nafa, of genealogy and so forth, it protects all these things that are just inherently us, like our family bloodlines and the way we distribute, um, you know, we are here in the in the diaspora, but we, we're always wondering what's happening to our family plot of land back in Samoa. Every Samoan diaspora person thinks this. Like, you know, we go back on these visits and all of a sudden it's like, who's that family on our land? And then we get into these arguments and, hey, that gate line, you know, where you put your fence post is now like two metres over here. And they're like, no, <laughs> yeah. it wasn't. What happened, you know? bro? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, it, there's just so many ways for this technology to um, – to support our our cultural preservation of our you know the things that make us inherently us as a people and so forth so it's so exciting it doesn't matter whether you're the younger generation looking at it from the artistic standpoint or whether you're looking at it from our, our parents generation and looking at it in your old years you're wondering you know our oldies are sitting there watching all this COVID stuff playing out and they're like 
What's the future hold? You know, we came here on a mission to kind of get our families up in the level and learn, get get our kids educated so that we could protect back home for us in the diaspora. And I know that they're watching all of these unfolding events around the world with a bit of a worry. And so, like, for example, I, I talk to my parents all the time about blockchain and I try to yep. normalize it with them. And yep. that's something I um, and, um, encourage a lot of our other creatives and audience members to do too, is to talk to our elders about it. This should not exclusively be uh, our digital generation literate thing, but we need to kind of articulate it to them as best as we can about what the possibilities are, because while they are alive as the analog last link to the way life was, then we can take them while they're still we're, we're still blessed to have them and take that and encode that as the first blocks in the blockchain. Because once yeah. we lose them, then it's gone. We're at the mercy of academia and what was written in the books or whoever got the most funding from Creative New Zealand or, or New Zealand funding to make content about what it is and so forth and all these legacy systems that will now dictate what the fundamentals are. Those legacy systems should not dictate what are the first blocks in the blockchain. Our parents, our, our papas, our nanas, our analog links to the islands should be the first block in these blockchains. You know, it's a fresh start for all of this. And so there's a there's a... There's all these elements to it, but there's a responsibility that I just wanted to impress upon everybody about the necessity to take a lot of the fundamentals of what blockchain and Web 3.0 is and immediately deploy um, our cultural capital that exists within our analog papas and nanas and our communities and the churches and all these, you know, the current existing analog world and preserve them within the first blocks of the blockchain moving forward as early adopters. Massive, bro. Another mic drop. <laughs> but that's, that, that is something. Eh? So that's the stage that we are in. We're at the stage where the internet got invented, where cell yeah. phones first got invented and only a few people have them sort of thing. We're in the space where this stuff is quite complex. It's quite hard yeah. to understand and it's quite hard to engage with. But like... The, the first time when the first big brick cell phones came out, everyone was like, oh, what's that? Oh, that's cool. Mm. But now, you know, five-year-olds know how to work an iPhone. You know, yeah. like it's going to be at that stage where we're all going to be able to interface with the blockchain easily, you know, effortlessly and not, and it's not going to be difficult. But it's like, I, I really love your your kōrero about the importance of laying down that foundation now and laying it down with, with our pakeke, with our kōmātua, with our kuia. Um, so that that stuff doesn't just get lost in the, oh, that was history. Yeah. That was how they used to be. Nah, well, like they're, they're tikanga for a reason, you know? These these tikanga have been passed down for a reason because they work, because they keep us safe, because they um, facilitate our connection with each other and with our with our tail. So like those are all, yeah, massive, massive things. Yeah. So, and that's yeah. why I love what you do. Like you, you have this really um, fascinating knowledge of like the art form that you do and so forth but the way you constantly um weave your te reo into it and you just normalize it like it's just part of like you know you are what you repeatedly do and what you are you know the world is just a, a um a vision board you are what you see the environment around you is what 
you know, program you. And with yourself, like constantly throwing the te reo in there and throwing the, the indigenous perspectives in there, it normalizes for everybody that engages with it to, and it becomes eventually through osmosis, they start doing it and so forth. So in this crypto space, in this NFT space, the more of us that can keep talking about it from this perspective, it, it makes it a, a more normal thing for the young ones coming through. Because yeah, if yeah. we don't, then it becomes an exclusively a crypto punk conversation. It's exclusively a, you know, board eights conversation. And, and those are great too. Like those are communities and areas of application as well that have existed for 30 years, 40 years. But our kaupapa, our ngafa goes back centuries, you know, yeah, and, yeah. And we and it always gets passed on from generation to generation. You are the kaitiaki. You're responsible for this. Please pass it on. And so now yeah. that we are in 2022 being gifted this technology, our ancestors are tapping on the shoulder. You better make sure that you don't, you know, that, yeah, that pass you on the message, pass baby. this on, pass, make sure we transition through this this portal well. Yeah. Like, and and so that's a lot of where a lot of my focus and a lot of my time and energy, like I used to be up in the different spaces, like getting into the technicals, but I realized, okay, that's quite surface level thing about deciding which blockchain and blah, 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 blah. But what is the bigger picture? Like why are you still breathing and you have the opportunity to serve? What is your responsibility with the blockchain and the way you produce? Like, yeah, cool. You made stuff for Hollywood. You made stuff for the music industry and, and all these other things. But where are you really trying to create and create um, the, the true value and responsibility of what you've been gifted with? And so, yeah, that's absolutely the space that we align on. And hearing dudes like yourself that that, got, that look at the space from this perspective, there's many perspectives. Like a lot of people get into the NFT space for, you know, they're interested in that aspect of it and all these types of things but you know i i gravitate towards this type of corridor that you know reminds us about the responsibilities that we that we have as early adopters and the and the opportunity that we have eh? it's an opportunity to you know we could either do it or, or we could not um but we have this opportunity to be able to infuse our culture our tikanga our whakapapa into the space where our kids are going to be whether you like it or not our yeah. kids are going to be in that space. Our, our mokopuna are going to be born into that space where that's just normal. That's that's the world they know. And so if we don't take this opportunity and, you know, infuse it with our, our cultural values, our, our tikanga, our mātauranga, yeah. then, you know, what are they going to be growing up in? And, and just like crypto teaches us, like, you know, you, you analyze crypto through two lenses. You, have, you look at it through the fundamentals and the technicals. Our kids are going to be really good at the technicals because they understand like the technology and what you press that there and it does this and this. But the fundamentals is the part that they're going to have a little bit of a problem with because, you know, our code, like our, you know, um, our indigenous practices mm. and why we do it and why um, in this culture they've done this thing for hundreds of years. Um, like we, we need to be kind of imprinting that within our kids as a fundamental, like that's your template. That's the roadmap you operate from. It doesn't matter what blockchain gets put in front of you. It doesn't matter what the tokenomics are. It doesn't matter how many in the collection that you encounter, but these core values from an indigenous perspective or oil Samoa or oil Konga, oil, like whatever your, um, whatever your heritage is, whatever your inherited, um, ancestral journey has been that that becomes the lens, the glasses that you put on first. So it doesn't matter where you navigate within the metaverse, 
um, you know, it might be very, very liberal, or very, very conservative, or very, very dinosaurish, or very, very whatever. But your your lens is your cultural lens that your grandma wanted you to have, that her grandma that's been passed on through to kind of be your your guiding star. Those, you know, the, the same way we look to our you know, to the stars to help us navigate through their next space. The metaverse is the same type of thing. It's exciting to be able to have do anything because that's what the metaverse is, the ability to do anything. Um, that's dangerous if you don't have an anchor and if you don't have some some sense of stabilization. And that stabilization comes from our family, comes from our ainga, comes from our whakapapa and so forth. So we need you know, a very um, strong movement to, to make sure that, you know, as we progress further into the space that those frameworks are being passed on to our kids. So regardless of whatever the crypto NFT platform is or whatever the, the metaverse thing is, that they will be safe. I mean, here's, here's one last thing just to conclude the space. Yeah, when you know great. how the brain works and, um, you know, it's, it's neurons firing electrical pathways, what, the, what one of the founders of Google is doing, and, and brain scientists have been doing this a lot, and I follow a lot of um, the work of Joe Dispenza and um, you know, other scientists in this space, is they're able to measure and uh, regenerate memories from a person's brain. And without going too far down the rabbit hole, what's, what's pos what scientists are looking at now is the ability to be able to take a person's brain, or, you know, Elon Musk, Neuralink, kind of tap into it and be able to um, generate a digital avatar of your personality, of who you are. Because yeah. when you're angry, we, when we get angry, we have a certain chemical that releases into the brain, which creates an electrical signal. If it's an electrical signal, we can measure it. It's binary. We, can, we, we know how to track it. We can recreate those things. And so scientists are able to take our human experience that we perceive it within our brains and document that data. And from that data, they can generate an, an avatar. And we are now at this, like people can do, like, you know, go down the, um, the rabbit hole on this. But where we're essentially heading is, uh, you know, a world where on your deathbed or before that, where you will be given the option before you pass into the next beyond the veil. Do you want to generate a digital avatar of yourself and fuse with AI so you keep living? You know, do you want to be around with your moko? Um, wow. You know, so like, you know, it preserves your personality and all those things that the brain holds and measures and stores because your brain is just a computer and it fuses it with AI. And so what are the philosophical repercussions of being able to, yeah, to live forever? And the guy that's doing this who's from um, Google, like that was one of his dreams was to bring his father back. And yeah. as people of the Moana, as indigenous people, like how do we answer that fundamental question? Yeah, about, and where is Wairua in that, you know, yeah. where's Where's Modi in that? Um, but yeah, man, like just the, and again, with any technology, it's technology and it's and it's neutral. It can be used for good. It can be used for bad. This could be an absolutely beautiful thing, um, you know, that that we could be able to engage or, you know, our, our mokopuna would be able to engage with us as their tūpuna in that way. Or it could be bloody freaky as. <laughs> exactly. And it's going like, to go down whichever way we make it. it. Yeah. yeah and, absolutely. And that's something that we have to wānanga, eh? Like I say, you know, the art follows the technology of the time. And the, this is this is not theoretical. This is what's on record. Like, Elon's looking into this. 
Um, the the teams over at Google are looking into this, like as you know, and we are the, you know, we are the people they're making products for. So as a community, what what are what's our you know if this what are our rules of engagement as yeah. a people? It's like how do we head into the space where we we love grandma and we're gonna miss her? So do we keep her around? Should we, should we generate an avatar and keep talking to her after the fact? Although we're talking to her her coding, but AI, you know, like it's... And how does grandma feel about that? Exactly. Hey. You know, and that's such a subjective, crazy question. And if we don't start to, you know, like like our, our ancestors and our forefathers, like if we don't as early adopters now start looking into this type of thing, then if we don't, then we are at the mercy of the world's alg algorithm or whoever's the richest person that can code whatever yeah. they think it should be. And that's dangerous. And so, you know, there's a lot of philosophical questions around this. And that's why I, I'll kind of come back to this notion of um, resample to tell as an example of how we should operate in this NFT crypto space. Yeah. Is I, my thesis now with Tatal is our ancestors designed to tell in Tamoko as a process to, um, to, to train us to thrive and prosper throughout life, to survive life. What I mean by that is like, like we, when you undergo the tatau, you, you are told, you are taught through the process to embrace the pain. And it's painful, but when, once you're on the mat, you can't do anything about it. You just have to lie there and localize the pain. And the more it hurts, the more you lean into it. And, you know, you go through each session and it's excruciating, but at some point uh, you complete that session and then you go home and you recuperate and you come back for more. And it's a difficult journey and it goes over and over and over and over and over again. The tapping never, ever stops. But then at some point in the process it concludes and then your body heals and, grow and grows and now you've got a new identity. Now that's a metaphor for life. It doesn't matter... You know, if you were a caveman back in the day, I use this example, you might have woken up one morning and you don't want to go hunting, but your whole family is reliant on you to to sustain them. And so having gone through the tutel, you realize, I don't want to do this, I, you know, but I'm going to do it anyway. You might have been the mole movement in the 1900s and the Germans were like, you know, if you sell out your culture and change the system, we're going to give you all these economic benefits. And, you know, tutel would have taught them back then, this is a painful conversation to have, but we need to lean into the pain and do what's right. We will not sell out. We will continue this movement. You can banish us to Saipan if you want, but we will not sell out. As painful as that is, Tatao's taught us that we have to just enjoy the pain and so forth. And that's something that I've had to um, learn in my own life is, um, you know, the Tatao of me the metaphor of Tatao, there's so many things about myself that I pretend I don't want to acknowledge but the you know the things that I can benefit from if I acknowledge the the selfishness I often have as an artist, or the the ego, or the not maintaining a balance with family, or all these things that I, I hold at the back of my mind and I don't want to deal with it, I need to take those things and put it on the mat and to tell it, and because wow. by yeah. leaning into that pain, I will grow and become a better person and a better creative and so forth. And so that's what to tell has been you know as a practice. As uh, it, my thesis has been broadcast out into you know time and space, so that it doesn't matter where you come along in the timeline, it gives you a reference for being able to survive life because life is hard. So that's just a tell. What are the other practices that need to be, from our indigenous perspective, that need to be transmitted throughout time and space and now metaverse? So yeah. 
the, the, these are the conversations that keep, that keep me up and keep me quite um, fascinated about the space because I know it's important things that, in the same way, we are, we are benefits of what the Mo movement did back in the 1900s. Like, our existence would be different. Like, if, if they didn't make those decisions in the 1900s and the way they made decisions in the 1900s would have been different if they didn't have to tell that taught them that you have to lean into the pain not just physically once off when you get your tattoo, but every day you get tattooed. Every day you, there are things that happen throughout the day that you don't want to deal with. But tattoo teaches us you have to lie there and just take it and accept it and just push on through the pain barrier. So in the same way tattoo as an indigenous first chain in that analog blockchain has been transmitted forward into the, the future and the metaverse, what else is it in NFTs and crypto and all of this space as early adopters do we need to do to preserve this and transmit it into time and space so that we do justice uh, to our ancestors on our shoulders. Very beautiful. Beautiful. Mehikau na kia koe moe nei whakaro. Moe nei whakapapa, moe nei mātauranga. Ko tau mai kia koe, ana ko tukuna mai kia tātou, hei wānanga mātātou. Just, yeah, really want to mihi to you, bro, for making the time, but also for bringing all of that whakapapa, all that mātauranga, all that knowledge you know, that's come down through your lines, through your tupuna, all the way to Aotearoa um, and, and kind of, you know, reaching back as well. So you're, you're one foot here, you're one foot there, and you're, and you're also looking into the future. So I um, really want to mihi to you, bro, um, you know, helping us navigate the space, not only in a technology way, not only in the NFT, blockchain, metaverse way, but also, um, you know, really presencing and getting us to think about, okay, so how do we do this in a cultural way? Um, in a way that you know retains our ahurea, our culture, our our, um, our cultural values, and our tikanga. Um, oh, bro, I think it's like such an important um, part of this journey, bro. So, really want to mihi to you and and to all of our kai fakarongo kai mataki taki. Um, to everyone that's joined us, that's commented, that's you know sent your fakaro and sent your you know your your emotions. You know how you feel about the space. Um, really want to mihi to you guys um, and to all the people that will listen atono wa mihi kawana bro sure thank you brother thank you so much for having me and much love to everybody and all the best for the next part of the journey bro if I can bro I will be there when when it's um, for the for the festival of arts bro I'd love to be there and love to see that oh absolutely I absolutely dial you in there's certain like I've been in the heavy lifting of the initial stages and as we progress to the later stages in which we will dial in the strands of nfts and stuff you're the first person on the list that i'm going to tap into you know into cope up like damn they cope up driven rhymes these are cope up driven blocks yeah so yeah man that's us babe yo <laughs> okay